0: everybody welcome to two minutes and beyond the podcast where we review the toy Story movies two minutes at a time i'm macy and this is bianca hello hello in this episode we're talking about minutes three and four of toy story how are you doing today
1: i'm doing great i am very excited for this episode because i have my rant to go on
0: (laughs) (laughs) i can't wait to hear it (laughs) So we start off this clip with Molly putting Potato Head in her mouth and smashing him (laughs) on the side of her crib. And then it cuts to Woody lying on the hardwood floor and the words Walt Disney Disney Pictures presents fade in next to him as Potato Head's parts fall to the ground around him in the opening of You've Got a Friend in Me plays.
1: You know, I want to know, is that traumatizing... For Woody to just see Mr. Potato Head's parts flying across his face.
0: I don't know. Maybe, but I feel like Mr. Potato Head's parts are falling off all the time. So maybe not. Probably not.
1: But it's a fun (laughs) concept to think. (laughs) Like, oh, there goes my friend's body parts.
0: (laughs) What I was wondering is, is he's... What, he's like, laying on the floor in a really weird, like, sort of uncomfortable-looking position. Like, is he—is that uncomfortable, or is it just, like, he's used to it, so it's no big deal? You know,
1: I think he's been in so many odd, uncomfortable positions, and he's made of fluff, so he shouldn't really feel the pain, but because we're full of bones, we're kind of like, oh, that looks painful. <laughs>
0: That's another question is, do toys feel pain?
1: <laughs> I would hope that they don't because there's some kids that play really rough with their toys. And then like in Toy Story 3, the whole daycare scenario where everybody is, mm-hmm. you know, hiding from the kids. I would imagine that they do, at to a certain extent, do feel pain. I don't
0: know. What he didn't seem to react when his... Voice box literally got ripped out in that one scene in Toy Story 4. This is true,
1: and his arm falls off, and it's not like it's painful, it just falls off.
0: It almost seems like it's more of a shock to him than anything else.
1: (laughs) And then also, in Toy Story 4, I know we're not talking about the other movies, but the zebra... Which is the cat toy. Oh, yeah. He's completely (laughs) severed in half. And when I saw that, I was like, wait a minute. Shouldn't he be dead?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I guess. Didn't in, like, Toy Story 3, when they're, when Lotso's got Buzz tied to the chair and they're, like, unscrewing his jetpack, doesn't he say ow or something?
1: Something. Or he's just, like writhing in pain and I'm like, why is this toy writhing in pain? Why do they feel what's going on? And I feel like for children that's something that might be concerning to them if they process that. They might think like, oh, maybe I shouldn't play with my toys like this. <laughs> Unless they're fit.
0: <Sid>. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to just say the The sound that Molly makes at the beginning of this clip, (laughs) I never really noticed it much, I guess, because just normally watching the movie, it just goes by and I don't think about it. But like watching it or like hearing it several times, like while watching this clip, like, oh, like I watched this clip several times and that sound is like the most disgusting (laughs) sound (laughs) ever. The sound of her like putting potato head in her mouth and like spitting all over him.
1: Yes, I've never enjoyed that sound. I just don't like mouth sounds when it comes to like chewing or smacking or tongue clicking. So that's always been a very uncomfortable two to three seconds for me.
0: (laughs) I just I literally never noticed it. Well, I guess I noticed it, but like it didn't bother me until now. (laughs)
1: I think they just tried to make it a little too realistic with, you know, children drooling and everything. And I don't like it. (laughs) I don't like it one bit.
0: It's pretty gross. So Andy picks Woody up off the ground and he says, you saved the day again, Woody. He pulls a string and Woody says, you're my favorite deputy then pulls Woody away and the Toy Story logo appears in front of the cloud wallpaper. So since, uh, I guess I'll just repeat what I just said a minute ago. <laughs> our technology <laughs> failed us and we're having to record this part again. Uh, since, since as we go through, uh, we want to talk about each of the actors as as they appear, and we didn't talk about John Morris, Andy's voice actor, last week. We wanted to go ahead and talk about him now. So he was the voice of Andy in the first three Toy Story movies. And for some reason, IMDb says he was in four as like teenage Andy, but I don't know. I don't think that's true. I don't know what teenage Andy they're talking about. I don't remember that happening in Toy Story four. And uh, he also voiced Andy in a couple of Toy Story video games, and he appeared as himself in a couple of Toy Story documentaries. He's also credited as additional voices in The Nightmare Before Christmas, and he's in some random cartoon that I've never heard of called Jason and the Heroes of Mount Olympus. And he was the voice of Pepper in the video game Lego Island, which I've never played, but I have played Lego Island too. And that was a really fun game. But I don't Um, know if he was in that one.
1: I've seen those games and they look like a lot of fun, but I also have not
0: played them. Or at least I haven't played either one. Let's talk about the Toy Story logo for a second. Even though we already did like five minutes ago, but let's do it Yes, let's. So there were two different versions of the Toy Story logo before they got to um the one they ended up using. There was a pre-release logo according to I think it's it's called let me look up let me click on this. Oh, it's actually called Logopedia. I was about to say Logos Wiki, but that's not what it's called. It's Logopedia. Um there was a pre-release yo- logo from 1991 to 1995, that was rumored to be designed by Craig Good. That is just like a black background, and then in like a some kind of bold font, it says Toy Story, a Pixar production, and like and it's like um white but kind of silverish, kind of like then, a chrome color, sort of. And then there was a, another logo that was used as a placeholder on a behind-the-scenes teaser in spring 1995, right before the movie came out, which was designed by Susan Bradley, who also designed the the final logo. And, and I that's think what I do it. Yeah,
1: I was gonna say I think I do remember that one for sure. The um, the previous one before with the blue text over the orange box that one mm-hmm. it's just like it really stands out in my brain like oh yeah i remember that
0: yeah because it's so weird and different
1: <laughs> yes and i didn't it's like, like it i was like oh, that's, the yeah it doesn't look right
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's a orangish yellow in place of like the red background thingy and then the word story is blue, and then the word toy, it still has, like, the red outline, but the letters themselves are actually, like, white, and they almost look like there's some kind of wood grain or something, but mm-hmm. it's hard to tell. Moving along, if you look at uh, eight seconds into this clip, there's a little picture of Andy on his dresser. A little framed picture of him playing baseball.
1: (laughs) I think that's so cute. I like that they added. Like tiny little details like that. Like this is a house. You know like people have their stuff in their home. And they have like little pictures everywhere. It's not just like. Like a boring set.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Like they actually paid attention to details.
0: Yeah it doesn't just feel like. Oh this was made in a computer.
1: Exactly. And like they actually like, took their like time. actual
0: environment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think later on you can see like next to Andy's toy chest, he's got uh, like a yellow baseball bat and a baseball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes.
1: I think that's really cute.
0: Yeah. So, at twenty seconds, there are a couple of drawings on Andy's bulletin board. One is a red race car and it says go, and later you can see a drawing of a covered wagon being pulled by a horse, one of Woody, um, one of, I think it's Woody, but like the shirt is a different color, and he's riding horse, and he's got his arm up in the air, like maybe holding a gun or something, mm-hmm. and then there's a drawing of some army men coming down with parachutes. <laughs> I love all his drawings.
1: I do too. They're really cute. And I want to know, like, I wonder if they, like, the people that were actually working on this, like, actually got their kids to draw stuff and they just kind of, like, went over it and put it into the movie? Or did they actually, like, try to draw as childlike as possible?
0: I feel like that would be kind of hard to do for, like, a professional, like, an artist to try to draw, like, a kid. (laughs)
1: It is very difficult because I've tried it and I'm like, I can't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Andy says, come on, let's wrangle up the cattle and makes Woody lasso up his boxes with, with cows drawn on them using a jump rope. Which is pretty cute.
1: That is really cute. Also, how is he that good at lassoing? <laughs> I
0: know, right? <laughs> I I just love that he's like got, he's... He's making what he do. It's like he's holding what he's hand in his hand and like holding the the jump rope. Mm -hmm. I used to do that kind of stuff with my toys all the time.
1: Oh, yeah, me too. I used to pretend they were cooking and I was causing a fire hazard by putting my stuffed animals too close to the stove. (laughs) Granted, the stove was not on, but God forbid it would ever turn on miraculously and my little stuffed animal would catch on fire.
0: (laughs) I'm glad that never happened.
1: <laughs> I'm glad it never happened either.
0: <laughs> so twenty four seconds we see it says a Pixar production. Right as I think it's that's happening while while Andy is sort of using RC as like Woody's horse, mm-hmm. sort of to help Woody wrangle up the cows. It's pretty funny. And then at Uh, 32 seconds. Uh, It says executive producers Edwin Catmull and Steve Jobs. Would you like to know who those people are?
1: I would love to know who those people are. Who are they?
0: Well, I will tell you. Edwin Catmull was the former president of Pixar and Disney Animation, he has a doctorate in computer science. In 1972, he created a 3D animated version of his left hand, which was later used in the 1976 movie Future World, which was the first film to use any kind of CGI. The animation of his hand was called a computer-animated hand and was preserved in the National Film Registry in the Library of Congress in December 2011. So literally his animation of his left hand was like one of the first and ins- well, I think what I read was there, that movie that I mentioned had was the first movie to use any kind of CGI and it had mm-hmm. two different CGI things in it. And one of those was at Catmull's hand.
1: Hmm. See, I never knew that tidbit. That was really interesting.
0: Yeah, that is pretty interesting. Uh, So, according to his Wikipedia page, George Lucas approached Catmull in 1979 and asked him to lead a group to bring computer graphics, video editing, and digital audio into the entertainment field. And then it says, in 1979, Catmull became the vice president at Industrial Lights and Magic Computer Graphics Division at Lucasfilm, which would eventually become uh, Pixar. In 1986, when Steve Jobs bought ILM's digital division and founded Pixar, uh, they made him the president and chief technical officer, and he remained in both of those positions until 2006 when Pixar was bought by Disney. On October twenty third, twenty eighteen, Catmull announced his plans to retire from Pixar and Disney Animation, staying on as an advisor through July twenty nineteen. And he has credits on most of the Pixar films that have been made, and quite a few Disney films from like the past fifteen or so years. Usually, usually is credited as credited as some sort of senior or executive leadership. And that's all about Ed Catmull. Hmm. I'm going to have to start looking for his name now. And then the other executive producer was Steve Jobs. And he, of course, was the founder and CEO of Apple Incorporated. And he was CEO of Pixar until it was bought by Disney in 2006. He bought the computer graphics division of Lucasfilm, which we've talked about. And created Pixar in 1986. And of course he was the creator of. The iPhone. The Mac. The Apple computers. You know just nothing important. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing
1: relevant to this podcast.
0: Yes. I'm not using a computer that he. Created right now. (laughs) Oh same. (laughs) And unfortunately. He passed away in 2011. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's all about Steve Jobs. Moving on to the actual uh, clip that we're talking about. Andy gives what do you high five at 38 seconds? And I'm pretty sure this is the first instance of the thing I know you want to talk about.
1: <laughs> yes. And it's making me so concerned. Why? Why? Is Woody's face different? Why does his mouth open slightly? Why is he squinting slightly? Why does Andy not notice this? He's just high fiving his best friend, not noticing that Woody's face has changed. Does he not know that his toys come to life? Does he have a mutual agreement that he's okay with his toys coming to life? I have questions.
0: (laughs) 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 I mean, I feel like the simplest answer is that it was just some kind of animation error but that seems like a pretty big error not to catch it and fix it in time
1: exactly and then because it's at the very beginning of the film you would think that once they're going through it they're like oh hey we skip this let's go fix it really quick and then you know it'll be fine but no they leave it in there and I think I read somewhere that it was supposed to be a Test model that they were doing when they first started like animating Woody, and oh. I want to say that's what happened. They put that in there, but they never took it out. And for that, I would I, I get it. it I don't know. Unless and I,
0: maybe they just didn't want to redo that animation.
1: I would understand that.
0: Didn't have time.
1: I, I would. Know fully understand that but it makes me very mad and I never noticed it as a child it was when I started re-watching the movies when Toy Story 3 was coming out and I saw it <laughs> I had to re-watch it like three or four times I just rewound the dvd And I was like, oh, my God, is his mouth open? I'm like, his face is different. And it doesn't just appear there. It also appears, I want to say it, like 42 seconds when he's giving, Andy is giving Woody a piggyback ride with the background of the Western scene. And then it happens again at, like, 58 seconds when they're on the chair and they're spinning around. And I'm like, why Mm -hmm. does Woody keep making that face? It makes me... Very uncomfortable,
0: it especially bugs me in that scene you just mentioned when they're on the chair spinning around because it's such a close up on his face in that one part, and you can it's like it's, it's like really close in on his face and it and his face is wrong,
1: yes, and then it changes again. they zoom in on his face again, and then it's fine. it's his normal, frozen face, and I'm like. What, why did that happen? Who is in charge of this? We need to fire them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If anyone has, if anyone knows the actual explanation of why this happened, please send an email to two minutes and beyond. Please tell me. I need to know. I need answers.
1: (laughs) My soul needs to be appeased and put at rest.
0: So Andy puts Woody on his back, like gives him a little piggyback ride and goes downstairs and goes across a desert painting, which I'm pretty sure is there for the sole purpose of making it look like, you know, he's a cowboy just like riding through the desert. Because I don't think that painting really goes with the rest of the decor in the house.
1: It really doesn't. And it may have been like a family heirloom, but it doesn't match at all. Also, another thing, I really love, okay, so I'm angry at the part where Woody's mouth is open. But Mm -hmm. then it just kind of goes away when you see the way Andy runs down the stairs and he's like flailing his arms around.
0: (laughs) That's my favorite. So at 41 seconds, credit pops up. Supervising technical director William Reeves. I'm going to tell you something about William Reeves. He's a Canadian animator and technical director known for working with John Lasseter on the animated shorts Luxo Jr. and the Adventures of Andre and Wally B. uh, According to Pixar Wiki, he joined Pixar in 1980 when it was the computer, still the computer graphics division at Lucasfilm. And he's worked on. Let's see, he's worked on. Toy Story, Bugs Life, Finding Nemo, The Incredibles, Cars, Ratatouille, Up, Toy Story Three, Monsters University, Inside Out, Cars Three, Coco, and Toy Story Four. And most of those credits are for either supervising technical director or some kind of like technical development lead or a uh, global technology engineer. That's what most of those credits are for. That's pretty good.
1: He's working on a good
0: amount of movies. Yeah. It's like at least, I don't know, at least half of Pixar's movies. Yeah, for sure. If not like three quarters. It's a good amount. I'm I'm very proud of him. So Andy slides Woody down the stair railing. he hits the bottom, and Andy catches him and hugs him. And again, I want to know is this painful for him? <laughs> hitting the bottom of. Hitting that, that post at the bottom of the railing, and then flying up, and, and Andy catching him. Is that painful?
1: <laughs> I want to say it is painful because later on. In the movie they have the whole scene where he's in the back of the pizza planet truck. Oh yeah. And he's not having a good time.
0: No, he So I would
1: imagine not. the toys have some degree of feeling pain.
0: As as Andy and Woody are going down the stairs, we see all these pictures on the wall and some of them like they all look like they're of Andy, but if you look closely at them, some of them have glasses. And Andy doesn't wear glasses. Hmm. And this goes back to, we've talked about this privately before, but I don't think we talked about it on the podcast. Because apparently those pictures are of Andy's dad.
1: Yes, I do remember hearing that in that one interview that they had done with, um, gosh, I don't remember his name
0: mike mozart yes who was a friend of joe ranft who worked on this movie and apparent apparently i mean there's a whole backstory and i don't know how canon it is about andy's dad and how he had polio as a kid and then died of polio as an adult but apparently those pictures uh that look like Andy, but they're wearing glasses, are actually pictures of Andy's dad. I will put that video in the show notes in case people are interested in watching that.
1: Mm-hmm. That is a very interesting listen. Like, yeah, you don't agree with everything, but there's some things that you <laughs> take out of that. You're like, hey, that's interesting. I do like that.
0: Yeah, there's some things that I'm like, that's a little bit of a stretch. It is.
1: A lot of it's far-fetched. It's like, I really don't think that's going to happen. <laughs>
0: yeah, so at 53 seconds, we get to Randy Newman's credits. This music by Randy Newman.: I love Randy Newman. He's so great. Yes, so according to Wikipedia, Randy Newman was best known for songs. Uh, the songs "Short People: I Love LA," and of course, you've got a friend in me." He has scored nine Pixar films. All four Toy Story films, uh, A Bug's Life, Monsters Inc., and the first and third Cars films. Actually, I'm not sure if this information came from Wikipedia. I might have just, maybe some of it did, but maybe some of it just came from my brain. (laughs) (laughs) Your basic knowledge. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He's also scored a ton of other films. Most of them I had not heard of for some reason, Uh, but the other. The scores that he's done for Disney include James and the Giant Peach and The Princess oh, and the Frog. I love James and the Giant Peach. So one of those one of those
1: movies. That movie is a really good movie.
0: He also he like came from or comes from like a whole family of like Hollywood music royalty basically. Mm-hmm. Like his uncle Alfred Newman was if i remember correctly from my music and film class he was the director of music at 20th century uh 20th century fox and he wrote like the infamous 20th century fox fanfare like that Oh, yeah. that's really cool, yeah and he like created a lot of the a lot of the that 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 um techniques and uh trope isn't the right word, but I guess like conventions mm-hmm. that are still used in film scores today. Hmm.
1: That's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. And so um according to this book, the Toy Story, Toy Story, the art and making of the animated feature that we've been referencing on page 94, it says, and this is a quote from, from Randy Newman, it says, The songs became the one place Woody and Buzz really manifest their feelings explicitly. It's where they voice stuff they don't otherwise admit to people or even to each other. Which is interesting because it's like Toy Story, you know, I from what I heard, like Disney originally wanted Toy Story to be like a musical. And Pixar didn't want to have, like, any songs at first, but then they realized that um, that using songs in the way they did, like, where it's not, like, it, it's, like, from the toys' perspective, but, like, the toys aren't singing it.
1: It's right. A way,
0: yeah, it's a way of getting those uh, emotions across and thoughts across without, like, without them like explicitly saying those things.
1: Right. And I'm glad they didn't turn it into a musical. Like as much as I love musicals, I really don't think it would have fit for the type of story that they were portraying.
0: I wanted to read some more from that same book. This is actually talking about the score for the movie. This is on pages uh, 95 to 97. It says Newman carefully considered the puzzle of how the score would work to enhance this technologically advanced film. If the sound were heavily synthetic and, con- and computerized, the whole thing would take on a chill, the composer asserts. Newman and director Lasseter hit almost immediately on the answer to the conundrum. A movie that stakes out a new visual frontier should come wrapped in music of the most conventional instrumental colorations. The orchestrated sound needed to be laid on very full because these images soaked a lot of that right up, says Newman. So it's like, it's like that uh, contrast between like the new form of computer animation and like the familiar form of like an orchestral soundtrack mm-hmm. that works together really well.
1: I think they should have gone with Heavy Metal for the music. <laughs> <laughs> we could have had Heavy Metal Toy Story.
0: <laughs> that would have been an interesting choice. It I mean, would have changed. Still, <laughs> they could still do a Heavy Metal-based movie. I mean, they just did Soul. They did a movie based on jazz.
1: Yeah, I really liked that. That was really good. Why
0: not Heavy Metal?
1: Exactly. That one was really good. You know, you could just go to a concert, though, <laughs> and they're like, there's your movie.
0: So, um, and then according to the the audio commentary on the DVD, they were talking about, you've got a friend in me, and... Uh, Bonnie Arnold was saying the things we likened it to were Harold and Maud and The Graduate, where songs actually told about an emotional moment in the film rather than the characters singing about those things. It just made this scene more contemporary and more realistic mm-hmm. And I think they also talked about how like the song was meant to like establish Woody and Andy's relationship in like a very short period of time, like without having to having to spend, like, a lot of time, um, like, building up their relationship or, right. like, showing the audience their relationship.
1: I think it's easier to do that, too, as opposed to, like, animating the character singing the song <laughs> because you'd have to stop everything and then they have to have a little spotlight and then they're singing and then walking around while singing. And it's like, this is not a Disney princess movie. This is... <laughs> Toy Story but you know I really I stand by what I say that I am so glad they did not turn it into a musical because first of all it would have been weird and I don't know it just fits so much better to have them going through their their little life and the song playing in the background
0: yes so moving on with the with the movie Andy and Woody spinning on the chair. See Woody with his wrong face in that one shot. Horrid face. <laughs> yes, and while this is happening at fifty-five seconds, if you look at, if you look closely at the bookshelf that's next to the chair. Mm-hmm. there's some fun little Easter eggs in there. And I had to go, I had to go on Disney plus and like, look at the 4k version <laughs> in order to read these. And I still couldn't make them all out. Um, But there's, if you look, there's a book called all about computer animation, pseudoscience. There's one. I can't, I couldn't quite make it out, but it looks like it says grid, like G R I D T. I don't know what that's about. And then, Building a Home, Images from Africa, Mythological Beasts, and then there's some more that I can't make out. And then, like, uh, a minute or so later, you can see a different bookshelf um, that's also in the living room. And on that bookshelf, there's another copy of Pseudoscience. There's one... I'm pretty sure it says Wool Coat, but I'm not sure it's Wool Coat, Collecting Made Easy. Nicholas Nickleby. There's three <laughs> copies of Mythological Beasts. Another copy of All About Computer Animation. Carnaby Fudge. The Assertive Italian. Lizzie Lou. David Copperfield, but with just one P. Bad Jokes. Another copy of Images from Africa uh women and power and a bunch more I can't make out. And I I looked up to see if any of these were actually real books, other than I mean I know David Copperfield is real, but this one just had one P. And I found out from a Google search that Nicholas Nickleby, Carnaby Fudge, and David Copperfield with one P. Are actually a reference to a Monty Python sketch. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a, it's called the bookshop sketch where um, John Cleese is like a book, uh, it's like a bookseller Mm -hmm. and, or a guy who works at a bookshop. And this other guy, Marty Feldman, comes in and starts asking for like all these books that sound kind of like, Kind of like titles of Charles Dickens' books, but they're slightly off, and they're by this other guy, Edmund Wells. And it just keeps escalating and escalating, and it's really funny. I'll put a, I'll, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And then, Women in Power, the last book on the second shelf. I found a couple of books with the title Women in Power. And um, one of them I think came out in 2018. So I'm pretty sure that's not <laughs> what it was. Um, the other one, which I'm not a hundred percent sure this is the book that it's referencing, but I, I think it is. So it seems to be a reference to a 1985 book by Dr. Rosalind Miles. Um, and it, from the description on the author's website, it is a book about, I mean, pretty much what the title is, Women and Power, and it interviews 40 top women in Britain and America, and from the from the description, it says, what do Mrs. Thatcher and Jane Fonda, Golda Meir, and Debbie Moore, Eva Perrin, and Jacqueline Kennedy have in common? Focusing not only on the famous, but on the f- many women who match high achievement with low profile, Doctor Rosalind Miles links power, success, and self-realization for women in a provocative and original survey. So I thought that was pretty interesting. That
1: is interesting, considering what all was you know going to happen later on. <laughs> or maybe I that mean, was like all a
0: was, prophetic what all was finger happening at Texar <laughs> at the time. <laughs> It was that we now know about.
1: Exactly. It was like, hey, you know, this is our little secret finger to Lasseter's face.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's the kind of thing that you I don't know how you could have noticed it without being able to like go watch it in 4K with and pause it. And And look at every single little detail. Yeah, because like on our like ripped DVD copy that I used to make our clips, I couldn't make it out, mm-hmm. or ma- make any of them out really. And I, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure that that is the book that it was referencing. But I could only find just from, just from a Google search, I could only find two books with that title. And like I said, the other one came out in 2018, so that definitely wasn't it,
1: right? But also slightly off topic, what about the aggressive
0: italian i I mean, I looked all of them up to see what they were, and i I couldn't find anything. I also looked up Lizzie Lou and that Google search just gave me a bunch of scrapbooking supplies. <laughs> so I'm assuming that that may just be like um, like an inside like a personal. A personal thing like someone's like nickname for for somebody.
1: Probably. It was probably somebody that they knew and they're like, hey,
0: this is an inside joke. Let's put it in there. So they did. Yeah. See, I noticed, too, that like the bookshelves kind of look bent, which is strange. I don't know if that's like just a stylistic choice for the design. I don't know. I never noticed that. I'm gonna have to look at that now. I have a a note asking what is the framed picture next to the left window curtain? It looks like like framed and there's all I can see is like some green or something. I don't know. I there's I can't I tried looking at it on Disney Plus to get a, a better picture of it and I I could not figure out what it was.
1: Hmm, I'm going to have to look at that, too.
0: I also, I love the green lamp that's sitting on the little, uh, like, the little coffee table or, mm-hmm. or table that's in there. I was like, I actually kind of want that lamp.
1: I know. There's some things in there that I'm like, that's, like, the coolest piece of furniture or, like, that's the coolest little item that they have. I'm like, how dare they not have that in real life? Or if they do, how dare I not have it? <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's all, like, kind of, sort of, I guess, 70s mm-hmm. decor. I don't and I really love know that much about decor. Design. I like all the colors and stuff. I mm-hmm. mean, I do question um, Andy's mom's use of like, the carrot wallpaper in the kitchen. <laughs> I mean, I was looking at that, and I was like...
1: It's cute, but it's excessive because all the carrots are super close to each other. Had they been a little more spread apart, maybe a little bit smaller, it would have been better. But no, she's just got like these big old like actual carrot sized carrots on the wall.
0: Yeah, it's like yellow with with carrots on it.
1: Like, I think also if the carrots happening? were muted out. They're like a bright neon orange color. <laughs>
0: Yeah. It's it's very strange. Oh at one oh five, never look too closely at, at Andy's hand. Like when he's when that shot where it's like Woody's perspective while he's sitting in the chair and Andy's hand is reaching down to grab him. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it looks it. it does not look like human skin on that hand, which oh, I mean no, none of them look like they have human skin. But it's like especially creepy when you look really closely at it.
1: I'm scared to watch the clip
0: now. <laughs> so Andy shoots Woody into the air by putting him like on the on the footrest section of the of the armchair and then like push, uh, making the footrest go up. And I'm like, there is no way that that would throw Woody as high or as far as it does. This is true. I, I've
1: tried that before. My, oh, yeah. my parents had a recliner and every time I put a stuffed animal there and I try to launch them, they would just go underneath and
0: I'd have to scoop the animal out from underneath the chair. The book, the same book that I've mentioned before, Toy Story: The Art and Making of the Animated Feature. It talks about uh some of the design of this room. This is on page eighteen, this is a quote from Thomas shoe Shoemaker. The tactileness of this world, even though it has never existed, the sense that you can reach out and hold what you see on the screen is very significant to the appeal of the film. If you tried to make it look like real life, you would fail because it will never look like real life, but it look, can look like touchable or it can be touchable life, which is kind of what we were talking about before. When They, they like made it look like an actual like inhabited house. Mm-hmm. And I <laughs> do like how of, they did that. Yeah, they, like, put all these little details in that made it look real. Mm-hmm. And also, according to this book, the the VCR clock is, like, blinking because it's the clock isn't set.
1: Well, that's interesting. I've never noticed that.
0: Yeah, I didn't. I had never noticed it either. And I probably wouldn't have if they hadn't mentioned it in the book.
1: Right. Because we're not looking around like when you're focusing on a movie, you're focusing on the main
0: characters. Yeah. And also in this book, there's a quote from Andrew Stanton on page 27. It says the bond, what he feels with Andy had to be the first thing we got across in the movie. It had to be immediately tangible or you wouldn't care when something comes along and upsets it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. If you don't
1: care, you're just gonna be like, "Why am I even watching this movie?"
0: Yeah. At one twenty, uh, the original story by credit pops up, and it says John Lasseter, Pete Docter, Andrew Stanton, and Joe Rampf. We've already talked about John Lasseter. Maybe we can talk about. I guess we can talk about his credits, like when we get to his. Actual director credit at the end of this sequence. Yeah. I mean, we don't want to talk about him too much. But not too much. He's yeah. not that important. <laughs> it's not <laughs> like he directed this movie or anything. Exactly. It's not like his his original idea. Uh. <laughs> yes, but we can talk about the rest of the people here. So, Pete Doctor, uh, according to... Pixar Wiki. He started at Pixar at the age of 21 and began work the day after his college graduation. The 10th employee the company hired and its third animator. Like, can you imagine, like, literally the day after you graduate from college, going off to work at some like brand new computer animation company?
1: And then it turns into like a worldwide known company. That's pretty crazy. I,
0: yeah and you end up directing a bunch of movies and becoming the chief creative officer
1: i know that's crazy like when i graduated from college it took me almost a full year to actually get hired somewhere <laughs> so <laughs> to be hired the very next day that's pretty wild that that doesn't happen anymore there's no such thing as getting hired yeah. the very next day <laughs>
0: Yeah, I graduated a little over a year ago, and I don't—I still don't have a job in my field that I studied.
1: Exactly, it's just getting harder and harder. That's not fair.
0: <laughs> he directed Monsters, Inc., Up, Inside Out, and in Soul, and he replaced John Lasseter as Pixar's chief creative officer in 2018. Andrew Stanton is a director, screenwriter, and producer. He directed Finding Nemo, wall uh, and Finding Dory, and directed the 2012 Disney sci-fi movie, John Carter. This is all according to Pixar Wiki. Um, it says, Stanton joined Pixar in, ni- in January 1990 and was the second animator and ninth overall employee hired at the studio. And he's also done some voices in Pixar movies, like he was the voice of Zerg in Toy Story 2. He did Crush and the Seagulls and Finding Nemo and some car named Fred and Cars. I don't remember it. Fred. Hmm, I don't remember Fred either. I don't know. It just says Fred and Cars. <laughs> He and John Lasseter have two cameo voices in A Bug's Life as Two Flies. He also voiced Ham in the opening of Buzz Lightyear of Star Command, The Adventure Begins, and Hopper in the A Bug's Life video game, and It's Tough to Be a Bug, which I think was, a, was an attraction at either Disneyland or Disney World or both. I'm not sure. Hmm. That's interesting. Whenever I think of him, I think of um we used to have we still have the collector's edition DVD of um a bug's life and it had a bunch of like extra bonus features and stuff and like at the beginning of each menu there was like a clip of John Lasseter, um Andrew Stanton and someone else I don't remember, might have been I, I don't know, I don't want to say who it was because I don't remember. And um sort of the running joke of those clips was that Andrew Stanton kept calling this the the super genius version <laughs> of the DVD. So whenever I whenever I uh see him I I always think, super genius.
1: <laughs> That's pretty great. <laughs> now I'm gonna start thinking
0: that too. <laughs> Joe Rampf is the last on this list, and he was a story artist at Pixar. From Pixar Wiki, it says Rampf joined his old friend John Lasseter at Pixar in 1992 to work on Toy Story. Rampf's involvement was integral to the film as he storyboarded the Green Army Men scene with Bud Lucky, Sims Sid's room, and toys with Jeff Pigeon in the climatic. Chase scene with Andrew Stanton, amongst other sequences. Ra- Ramped became a co-writer on that feature for which he earned an Oscar nomination, um, and he ended up leaving Pixar to work on James and the Giant Peach, actually, before hmm. before returning to Pixar for the remainder of his career. And he voiced uh, he did some voices too. He voiced Lenny. In this movie and in Toy Story 2, Wheezy in Toy Story 2, Heimlich in Bugs Life, Jacques from Finding Nemo, and a few others. And unfortunately, he was killed in a car accident in 2005. And the movie Cars was dedicated to him. Oh, that's sad. It that is very sad. So, moving on. We're just like, anyways. (laughs) I want to say, don't look too much outside the windows of the living room. Because you will see, like, they look okay. Like, the stuff out there looks okay, but it's not super detailed. Like, I noticed. I I did notice that. (laughs) I noticed there's like three of the same. I don't know if it's like a bush, like a tall bush or a tree they're like right next to each other but it and it's like clearly the same the same tree or bush <laughs> like, i want to say that's
1: like the laziest thing to do <laughs> but it's the most effective when you're doing very basic you know like animation or drawing if it's going to be in the background and you're not going to see it too much yeah. It's very effective. But if you're doing it for something like say you're doing it for your masters um I guess like thesis piece, don't do that.
0: <laughs> I mean, I guess to be fair, they were probably focused on like putting more detail into like the actual living room. Yeah. That what people and would that be more sense. likely to notice.
1: Right, as opposed to looking out the window that has nothing to do with the movie and when you're in theaters you're not going to notice it right off the bat unless you're like some weirdo that notices it and you're just like oh hey I have this random trivia and I'm like
0: were not you watching the movie (laughs) so then at 128 there's a shot from of the kitchen from Woody's point of view and you can like look and see well for one you can see the the hideous carrot wallpaper. (laughs) You can also see that there's like there's little birthday hats and cups set up on the table, like getting ready for a birthday party. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is cute. And at 133, I was wondering there's a lot of um like one of my favorite things in any of the movies is when like the humans are around. So the toys are frozen, but it like cuts to the fro to like the toys' faces. Mm -hmm. And you can even though they're like not alive, you can like tell what they're thinking. Yeah. Um, And there's a shot, kinda there's a shot. I mean I guess I guess that's what's happening at 133 where like Woody is just laying on on the the chair or the arm of the couch. And watching Andy and his mom like talk about the birthday party, you can, you can almost see he's thinking, oh, like the birthday party is actually happening today. Yeah, that's pretty interesting because yeah, they're expressionless,
1: but they cut to it like, okay, they are listening to it, they mm-hmm. know what you're saying, and they're processing this while they're frozen.
0: Yeah, but it's interesting because in this instance, like what he hasn't come to life yet. So, you're not necessarily thinking about like, oh, what's Woody is thinking about right? What's Woody thinking about right now?
1: Right, exactly. You just see it like, oh, he's the toy there. But Mm -hmm. I mean, why are you? What other reason would they do it if they're not building up like, oh, he's going to come to life later? Mm -hmm.
0: Like, why else would they they be showing like shots from his perspective or? Doing a close. Right, up and on then his also face.
1: with the previews, why would you come watch this movie if that wasn't going to happen?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so 141, Andy says it's party time, Woody and uh you can sort of see behind him there's a pillow on the couch that says home sweet home and like a cute little design. I do like that pillow. <laughs> I wouldn't mind having a pillow like that. I know. I've
1: actually considered making one cuz I do like that pillow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just take a screen go to Disney Plus, take a screenshot of it and you can like zoom in and copy the copy the pattern.
1: Right? The That's design. a good idea. I will do that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and as Andy and Woody are starting to go up the stairs at 143, it says screenplay by Joss Whedon, Andrew Stanton Joel Cohen and Alex Sokolo, I think that's how you say it, Sokolo. And for Joss Whedon, first of all, we want to give kind of the same disclaimer that we gave for John Lasseter. <laughs> Granted, I'm not as familiar with the Joss Whedon situation. Um other than like having read a little bit about it, but if if you're not if you don't know the the controversy surrounding him. Uh, you can do a Google Google search and find out. But, again, just to repeat what we said with John Lasseter, we like some of the stuff that he made. We don't like him as a person, but we're going to be using quotes and stuff from him as we talk about this movie. Yeah, it's kind of unavoidable. (laughs) Thankfully, he only worked on this movie and not, All of them, so. This is true. So he was best known for creating and or directing Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Firefly, Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog, The Avengers, and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, Andrew Stanton, we already talked about him. Then Joel Cohen and Alex Sokolow, who are writing partners, who worked on... Movies like *Cheaper by the Dozen*, *Garfield*, *Garfield: The Tale of Two Kitties*, *Evan Almighty*, *Daddy Day Camp*, and the video game *Skylanders: Spyro's Adventure*. Hmm. I have not played. That's
1: interesting. I didn't know they worked on that.
0: Yeah, that's uh, most of these credits. Um, I for all of these guys, I got from IMDb. And at one forty-eight, after Andy and Woody have come up the stairs. There's a sign on Andy's door that says, Andy's room, keep out, except Molly. It has stars drawn on it. Which I'm like, there's only one other person in this house.
1: And I'm pretty sure he lets the mom in, too.
0: (laughs) He's probably like, yeah, that's
1: fine. He probably doesn't
0: have much of a choice in that.
1: (laughs) He really doesn't. He's like, what, five, six, maybe seven now with his birthday. And I mean... You're still a small child. You can't not let your mom go into your room.
0: (laughs) But I like that except Molly is written in smaller letters on the bottom. Like he realized, oh, Molly, this is Molly's room, too. I guess I have to let her in here. So at 149, Andy opens the door and there's kind of a neat shot of Andy and Molly's room from Andy's perspective. Um, you can see there's a red luxo lamp there's a box with andy's name on it. it looks like it has like some kind of like paper or or pencils in inside of it and then the trash can that's maybe like potentially culturally insensitive <laughs> the little teepees there's the racetrack there's a little tinker toy on the ground under the desk Ham is open with coins on the ground. There's some alphabet blocks with the letters A, C, and E, which I don't think is a specific reference to anything. Um, there's the Fisher-Price ring stacking toy, which I had when I was a kid. I used to love those. <laughs> there's a cute little like blue and green rug with pink tulips on it, like in front of Molly's crib. There's a pink wicker I think it is nightstand with Bo's lamp and a baby bottle on it there's a pink shelf with baby supplies um and then like sort of above Molly's crib there's two framed photos of what look like these little bunnies dressed up in like a a suit and a little fancy dress and then also above on the other wall above Molly's crib, there's like a shooting star with like some, like a pastel sort of rainbow behind it, which is really cute. That is really cute. And I also noticed, the, like in that shot, you can see the doorknob and there's like, it's actually reflecting everything that it would be like reflecting, which is like. Yeah.
1: I did notice that too, and I thought that was really neat for them since that was the first movie, and that they're trying to do something like that mm-hmm. in the movie. That was really interesting. I liked that that they added that in there too.
0: Mm-hmm. They put all those little details in there. Mm-hmm. So Andy at one fifty, Andy runs into the room. He makes Woody tip his hat and say "Howdy, little lady" to Molly. Molly throws Potato Head on the floor. <laughs> Which poor Potato Head. He's already been through so much in this movie, and we're like <laughs> almost two minutes in. <laughs> He's got a rough life. Yes. Um and at 150 it says produced by Ralph Guggenheim. And according to Pixar Wiki, Ralph Guggenheim was hired at pixar in 1980 while it was still part of lucasfilm uh he was named vice president of feature animation when steve jobs bought the company and turned it into pixar he he worked on red's dream the short as a production coordinator he worked on tin toy as a production coordinator Says output scanning and i guess he did um It just says elf. I don't know if that means he did a voice of an elf. I don't remember there being an elf in that short, but maybe there was. Hmm. And then on Knickknack, he was credited in a list of, um, it was like a, it says a film by, and then there's like a list of people. And he was one of those people. And then he was the, one of the producers on this movie. Hmm.
1: That's
0: really interesting. he left Pixar in se- or nineteen ninety seven and has since worked for Electronic Arts, the video game company, and started his own animation company alligator planet and then the other producer is or was Bonnie Arnold. She was known for her work on the movie Dances with Wolves, The Adams family, Tarzan. Uh, This movie, Over the Hedge, The Last Station, and all three How to Train Your Dragon movies, plus various How to Train Your Dragon shorts. And at one fifty-five, Andy pulls Woody's pull string, and Woody's voice box says, Somebody's poisoned the water hole! And Andy sets him down on the bed, and he flops over. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but a lot of Woody toys don't have that phrase. Like, yes I've noticed that like the one that I have
1: he doesn't say it and I'm slightly offended
0: yeah I have the same one and he it makes me sad that he doesn't say it I don't know if they just don't like toys to say the word poison <laughs> <laughs> that could be it
1: maybe they just don't see it as appropriate for a child's toy to be saying that something's poisoned I don't know I don't but then know. they give us Furbies so I'm like what, what What's the deal?
0: <laughs> but I, I'm also like, he, he says, there's a there's a snake in my boot, which if I remember, well, one, it's talking about a snake. But two, I remember reading somewhere that it, that it, that's like an alcohol reference, maybe, hmm. sort of. I'm not 100% sure about that or if what I heard was, was true. So take it with a grain of salt. <laughs>
1: That is an interesting, I've never heard of that. That is interesting. That's like him saying, like, there's a monkey on my back or something. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so at one fifty nine, we end this two-minute clip with Andy starting to pick Molly up out of her crib, saying, come on, and then it's cut off while, like, right in the middle of what he's saying and while he's got Molly suspended in the air. <laughs> Just an interesting place to end off. I wonder what he's going to say next.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what if he just leaves her there? He's like, come on. And then he's like, no, I don't want you at the party.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> so is And there- then I
1: think about it. I'm like, he left her alone for an undisclosed period of time while he goes and runs downstairs. With I mean, it- I guess it's okay. But she's eating... Mr. Potato
0: Head. I was going to say with a toy that's basically a choking hazard.
1: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and she's going ed- to town on him too. She's not just holding it, she's going absolutely feral with <laughs> Mr. Potato Head.
0: I mean, even he says in our next clip, he says, ages two and up, it's on my box. <laughs> I'm not supposed to be babysitting Princess Jewel.
1: This is true. I'm pretty sure he was emotionally scarred by her drooling sounds,
0: too. <laughs> oh, man. I don't I don't want to think about those sounds. <laughs> <laughs> it never bothered me before. Now it's going to bother me every single time I'm watching the movie. <laughs> so is there anything else you wanted to say about this clip?
1: As far as this clip, not really. We touched on a lot of good things. I got to rant
0: about what I wanted to rant about. <laughs> so I'm pretty good. Okay, I guess, we can, I guess we can end it there and say goodbye. Thanks for listening and be sure to follow our social media and send us an email if you have any thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. See you next time. Bye, you guys. Bye!